How are you guys? Good. Uh, as you can tell, we're doing communion today, and I think the Lord has a really um, good message for us. And, you know, it's funny when you map out uh, your teaching schedule and you decide later to do communion, and then you see how it just co- kind of coincides perfectly. I'm not that smart to figure that out anyway, so I just leave it to God, and it's just cool to watch him put uh, communion together with the message that he uh, put forth weeks ago. So anyway, Pastor Dave is uh, traveling. He's at the, his wife told me, Joni said he's at the animal kingdom for two weeks, and he works at night when the animals are put away, so apparently he's safe, but um, keep him in your prayers. Um, yeah, so a couple years ago, about 15 years ago, I heard this for the first time, and I really enjoyed it. A uh, pastor friend of mine, Jim Blythe, who now used to pastor a church in Long Beach and now pastors in uh, Tennessee, state of Tennessee. And you'd ask Pastor Jim, Pastor Jim, how's it going? And every once in a while he'd say, yeah, the Lord has his fingers all up in my clay. And um, I like that. And that's what's happening to me. And it's in a really cool kind of way through these Psalms, uh, just every week how the Lord just gets in there into my clay. And uh, I'm not really enjoying that. But at the same time, I kind of am. It's really, really cool to just say, Lord, do what you got to do, man. And hurry up. <laughs> um, it's great. What a privilege. And um, so maybe that's happening to you. Psalm 48. Who read Psalm 48 this week? Anybody? A couple of you? I know some of you said, I've got to read it this morning before in the cafe. So that's good. I'm going to start off with a story about a gentleman. And then we're going to jump into Psalm 48. Traveling with a predominantly church group in the Middle and Far East, we found ourselves in Jerusalem one particular Saturday. Some people in the group felt it would be appropriate to have a worship service near some historic place. The site selected was that of Gordon's Calvary near the Damascus Gate. Preparations were made for worship, including the Lord's Supper. That afternoon, I received word that I had been selected as preacher. As much as I appreciated the invitation, without enough lead time, without my library, and without my preaching notes, I felt doubly inadequate, this pastor says. But what a place to preach. Saturday evening, later that day, Saturday evening, was spent contemplating his message for the following day, for Sunday. I finally selected, he says, for my theme... Remember Jesus Christ. The subject was lifted from Paul's letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says this, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, descended from David, as preached in my gospel, the gospel for which I am suffering and wearing fetters like a criminal. But the word of God is not fettered. Unquote. The little company of friends travelers and a few strangers met at the appointed hour on the following Sunday. Following the meditation, as agreed, communion was served individually. With simple words of invitation, each person came forward, knelt on a rock, and received the loaf and cup. It was a moving experience. Years later, when we lived in St. Louis, during the fellowship period following the morning worship service, a stranger approached, introduced himself, and said, You served me communion in Jerusalem. 
in a far more significant context, we were all served communion in Jerusalem. Amen? Turn with me to Psalm 48. If you've been here, we've been attacking the Psalms. This is our eighth week, I believe, of being in the Psalms. And I'm going to do something a little different than what I've done um, in previous weeks. I hope that's okay. But let's read Psalm 48. And then we're going to pray. The heading of Psalm 48 is the beauty and the glory of Zion. The beauty and the glory of Zion. Jerusalem, God's, where God's temple was located. Verse 1 of Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, His holy mountain. Beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of our great King. Verse 3, God in her palaces has made Himself known as a stronghold. For lo, the kings assembled themselves, they passed by together. They saw it, then they were amazed. They were terrified. They fled in alarm. Panic seized them there. Anguish as of a woman in childbirth. With the east wind you break the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen. In the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, God will establish her forever. Verse 9. We have thought on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us. Until death, let us pray. God, we thank you that from the very beginning you have made your presence known to your people. We invite your presence here, Lord, for you indeed are here to mold us and to shape us by being in your presence. Lord, we pray for the strength to be obedient, trusting, and focusing our eyes on you as you do the work you have for us individually and as a church body. Have your way. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. So Psalm 48, it says in your heading, if you notice, some of your Bibles I presume, that it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. A psalm of the sons of Korah. Who were the sons of Korah? Well, these are members from the Levitical tribe, the tribe of Levi. Korah is a descendant of Kohath, son of Levi. Their ancestor, Izhar, was the father of Moses and Aaron. Thus, their family position was closest to the priesthood. You may recall Korah from the book of Numbers, chapters 16 and 17. You can look at that later if you want. When Korah and three gentlemen from the tribe of Reuben, Reubenites, their names were Dathan, Abiram, and On, O-N, They, the four of them, led a rebellion against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and they accused them of exalting themselves above the assembly of the Lord. As punishment for their insubordination, 
God caused the earth to open up and swallow these four leaders along with their property. And then a fire from the Lord consumed their 250 followers. The sons of this Korah were responsible for the gatekeeping functions of the temple. And from that story and from their family history, it's probably a very good fit. They also served in the role as temple singers. David put them in charge of the service of song in the house of the Lord after the Ark of the Covenant was brought to Jerusalem. A quick question or thought that might seem out of place, but bear with me. How many of us have experienced the presence of somebody in our lives, currently or in our past, whose impact has been monumental, whether good or bad? Please raise your hand. Every one of us, you bet. Indeed, our lives are heavily influenced and changed by the presence of other people within our lives. Sometimes we have a choice of who is present in our lives, and other times we do not. Sometimes we have a choice in how we are influenced by the presence of others, and other times we don't. Arguably, nothing's more important than the presence of the Lord God Almighty in our lives if we've been moved, good or bad, by the presence of others, how much more should we and do we need to be shaped by the presence of God in our lives? The big idea, experiencing God's presence leads to God's praises. Experiencing God's presence leads to God's praises. Some summaries and observations as we continue. In Psalm 48, the emphasis is on the proclamation of the good news of God's presence that results in the joy of God's people. I repeat, the emphasis of Psalm 48 is on the proclamation of the good news of God's presence that results in the joy of God's people. When you and I contemplate the presence of God, what comes to mind? If I say the presence of God, what comes to mind? Do we think of coming to the rock for the weekend services so that we can experience His presence here here within these walls? I hope so. Perhaps we experience His presence during worship and we find ourselves with a deep sense of who He is, His love for us and our love in return to Him. Maybe we come hoping for an encounter with God but simply don't get a sense of His presence. It might even be the case that the presence of God is completely foreign to you. Whatever the case may be, know this. If ever there was a person whose presence could and should radically change and shape our existence, clearly the Lord is this person. Amen? I cannot be sure how each of us responds in the presence of the Lord, but part of the psalm should give us a good start. Look at verses 1, 2, and 3. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Our praise should match the greatness of our Lord. Great is the Lord, and so therefore our praise should also equal how great He is. In the city of our God, His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north. The city of our great King, God in her palaces has made Himself known as a stronghold. That stronghold is who is to be greatly praised. Go to verse 9, 9 through 14. We have thought or meditated on your loving kindness, O God, in the midst of your temple. 
as is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice, church. That's us because of your judgments. Walk about Zion and go around her. Count her towers. Consider her ramparts. Go through her palaces that you may tell it to the next generation. For such is God, our God, forever and ever. And he will guide us until death. The great king that's mentioned in verse 2 of Psalm 48 has chosen to reside among his own people in the city of our God, his holy mountain, which we find in verse 1. What is the city of our God? It refers biblically to Jerusalem, which became the capital of Israel during David's rule. Because the temple, the symbol of God's divine presence, was located in Jerusalem, the city became the center of Israel's worship. His holy mountain refers to Zion, the mountain on which Jerusalem sits. Zion is referred to in the Psalms 40 times. And it was originally a Canaanite city conquered by David and was a stronghold prior to that. uh, It was a stronghold belonging to the Jebusites. Once it was conquered, it also became known as the city of David. Later on, Zion referred to the temple area or and then ultimately to the entire city of Jerusalem. Most of the Old Testament references to Zion equate it with Jerusalem or the Temple Mount. Zion was believed to be Yahweh's chosen dwelling place on earth. After Solomon constructed the temple, he installed the Ark of the Covenant, establishing Yahweh's presence among his people. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 8, a little to the left of Psalms. First and Second Kings, and then First and Second Chronicles. First Kings comes first in those books. Kings is before Chronicles, chapter eight, verses six through thirteen. First Kings, chapter eight, verse six. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple or the house to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark and the cherubim made a covering over the ark and its poles from above. The poles were so long that the ends of the poles could could be seen from the holy place before the inner sanctuary, but they could not be seen outside. They are there to this day. Verse 9. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone which Moses put there at Horeb where the Lord made a covenant with his people when they came out of Egypt. It happened that when the priests came from the holy place, the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. Verse 12, And Solomon said, The Lord has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a lofty house, a place for your dwelling forever. Zion became known as Yahweh's royal palace on earth, the place where he caused his name to dwell. For those who struggle with grasping the presence of God, perhaps the thought of God having a place to dwell would be ideal for us, where we can just put it on our Google Maps and drive there and know that when we get there, God's presence will be there. 
The divine election of Zion as, as Yahweh's dwelling place is closely linked with his promise to eternal reign and rule of David and his descendants. Just as Yahweh promised David that his descendants would always reign over Judah, the assumption was that Yahweh's chosen dwelling place would also remain in place forever. Thus, Zion ultimately was thought to be untouchable, indestructible. A number of psalms convey this, and it also appears in Isaiah's account of Jerusalem's miraculous deliverance from the Assyrians during the reign of Hezekiah at the end of the 8th century B.C. As history unfolded, the destruction of the city and the destruction of its temple by the Babylonians in 586 B.C. presented a considerable challenge to this belief of it being indestructible. Sentiments about Zion persisted despite the Babylonian destruction of the temple, and a second temple indeed was completed and dedicated around 516 B.C. But if you know the story, Jerusalem was completely destroyed in A.D. 70, about 2,000 years ago, when Roman armies under Titus, uh, under their ruler Titus surrounded it, and after a 143-day siege destroyed the city with its temple. Titus gave orders to preserve all religious buildings in the city, but the soldiers' greed caused them to disobey that order. It was said that the heat of the burning city melted the gold that overlay the temple, and much of the gold seeped into the unmortared joints of the building's massive stones. Roman soldiers, who were paid primarily by what they could plunder, had to take the temple apart stone by stone in order to get paid from the gold that sat in these stones. And thus, Jesus' prophecy from Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2, was literally fulfilled. Turn to Matthew 24. Matthew 24, verses 1 and 2. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 and 2. Jesus had come out from the temple and was going away when his disciples came up to point out the temple buildings to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Truly I say to you, not one stone here will be left upon another which will not be torn down. Wow. Ancient Jerusalem lies buried today anywhere from 30 to 100 feet below the level of the present city. Jerusalem has been besieged 46 times and it has been completely leveled to the ground 17 times. God's presence is gone. A.D. 70, we're in trouble. Do we stop there? Heck no. What now, church? With the temple gone, has the Lord's presence been removed from His people? Zion appears seven times in the New Testament where its function is no longer geographical but theological. The early church had a radical reorientation of the location of worship away from Jerusalem and toward who? Jesus Christ. Turn to John chapter 4. You were in Matthew, just a little bit to your right. Turn to John chapter 4. Verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, 
Believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be His worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. Isaiah 28:16, I think it will be on the screen, says this. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone. This is a prophecy about Jesus. A tested stone, a costly cornerstone for the foundation. Firmly placed, he who believes in it or in him will not be disturbed. Years later, Peter turned to 1 Peter chapter 2. He references this verse from Isaiah 28. 1 Peter tucked in after Hebrews and after James, you'll find 1 Peter chapter 2. Starting at verse 4. And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. And then here's the reference to Isaiah 28:16. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. Verse 8, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble because they are disobedient, and to this doom they are also appointed. But you, church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you and I may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness and into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God's presence is amongst His people. This text from 1 Peter, referring back to Isaiah 28, verse 16, proclaims that Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in the foundation of what we call Zion, now understood as the community of Christian believers. Welcome to Zion. Jesus replaced the symbolism of the temple with the reality of His incarnation when He came in the flesh. John 1.14 says this. It will be on the screen if you'd like. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen. Matthew 1.23 puts it this way. Behold, the virgin shall be with a child and shall bear a son, and they shall call His name Emmanuel, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Through His Spirit, the people of God are His temple. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, a little to your left from where we were at in, in 1 Peter. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17.
verse 16, Do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you and I are. A little to your right, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God promised and said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And lastly, turn a little bit more to your right to Ephesians chapter 2. You like the way I laid those out? You just keep turning to the right. I thought that was very nice of me. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. Ephesians 2, verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, each one of us, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Dr. John Bailey made it a practice to open his course on the doctrine of God at the University of Edinburgh with these words. He would open his class and say, Gentlemen, we must remember that in discussing God, we cannot talk about Him without His hearing every word we say. We may be able to talk to our fellows, as it were, behind their backs, but God is everywhere. Yes, even in this classroom. Therefore, in all our discussions, we must be aware of His infinite presence and talk about Him, as it were, before His face. We, as a church, right now stand before the face of God. He is present here amongst us. Amen? Finally, let's chat about something that I... uh, some words that some people may or may not know. Let's chat about God's imminence and His transcendence. Do you know what I mean by His imminence and His transcendence? Some of you may, some of you may not. I'll explain. God's imminence is His nearness, His desire to be close to us, to live in us and through us. And His transcendence is His holiness, His vastness, His greatness. Is God both or is He one or the other? Is He just a near and dear God, but He's not a big God? Or is He a big God, but not a near God? He's both. God is both imminent and transcendent. 1 Kings tells us so. Turn back to 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. We are to experience both God's imminence and His transcendence to fully understand His presence. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. They're about to dedicate the temple. Solomon is done building the temple in Jerusalem. And during his dedication, verse 27, he says, and it's a good point, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house which I have built. Yet, have regard to the prayer of your servant 
and to His supplications. O Lord, my God, to listen to the cry and to the prayer which Your servant prays before You today, that Your eyes may be open toward this house night and day, toward the place of which You have said, My name shall be there. To listen to the prayer which Your servant shall pray toward this place. Verse 30. Listen to the supplication of Your servant and of Your people Israel when they pray toward this place here in heaven, Your dwelling place. Hear and forgive the imminence and the transcendence of God. One of the most infamous free thinkers of England was a man by the name of Anthony Collins who died in 1729. He was the author of a well-known book called The Discourse on Free Thinking. Has anybody heard of free thinkers or free thinking? Me neither. What the heck is a free thinker? Here's what a free thinker is. It's a person who rejects accepted standards of thought, accepted standards of opinions, especially those concerning religious beliefs. So he's just a rebel. That's really all he is. He's just a rebel. He's a free thinker. He's proud. I'm free thinking. All right. Nonetheless, the story goes on. This Mr. Collins one day met a poor working man who was walking his way to church. Where are you going, Mr. Collins asked this man. Well, to church, sir. Is your God a great God or a little God, asked Mr. Collins. It was an attempt to confuse the mind of the poor fellow, but the churchgoer gave this perfect answer. He is so great, sir, that the heaven of heavens cannot contain him, and so little that he dwells in my heart. The imminence and the transcendence of our God. What do we need to take away from this morning? A couple things. Yes, we do indeed serve a transcendent, holy, and awesome God. He is greater than we can ever imagine. Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain Him. But we also serve an imminent, a personal, a caring, a loving, and a present God who resides within these walls of brick and mortar, who resides within the walls of our collective hearts called the church, who resides within the walls of our own heart through the gift of His Holy Spirit. Let us praise God that He has a heart to be present amongst us still. Through His temple of old He has dwelt, through His Son Jesus Christ when He dwelt amongst us, and through His Holy Spirit who He now dwells within us. Let us praise God that should this building crumble, our Lord will still be as present as He always was. I love this building, but it's just a building. Let us pray and pray without ceasing for a couple things. For a deeper sense of God's presence in our own lives. For a deeper sense of God's presence within our families. For a deeper sense of God's presence in our marriages. For a deeper sense of God's presence in our relationships. For a deeper sense of God's presence in our workplace. For a deeper sense of God's presence in our church. For a deeper sense of God's presence in our communities. When we slow down here in a few minutes to partake of communion, perhaps this will provide you and I the opportunity to be honest with God about His presence in your life. What does God have to say to you? 
What does He want to say to you during this time of communion? Would you ask Him? I plead you, ask Him. What do you want to say to God during this time of communion? What do you want to say to God? I plead you to say it. Use this time as a launching point into the next chapter of your journey with God. Cry out to God. Beg if you must. Plead, implore Him for more of His presence. I heard it years ago. Sometimes you don't know what to pray for people. And so when I pray for my wife and my children, I just say, Lord, give them a deeper sense of Your presence. We've all agreed that the presence of God should radically change our lives. And so if my wife and my children and my friends have a deeper sense of who God is, I can trust that they'll have a deeper sense of what they're supposed to be about and what's important. If you are dry and thirsty in your spirit, and we have those times, don't we? Please, please tell God about that. When we awake each day and we take role, if you will, and I do that every, I wake up and it's just my natural thing. I kind of, my wife calls it, she goes, what are you doing? Are you taking inventory? I'm like, I'm taking inventory. Trying to figure out what's going on. Which way's left, which way's right? What do I got to do? I'm taking inventory. When we awake each day and we take role or we take inventory, know this, that when you call upon the name of the Lord, He will cry out with a resounding, I am present. Know that, church. In case you thought I forgot, I'd always like to provide an outline. I'm not going to get into the outline, but I'm going to show it up here. This is just me. This is what I'm seeing in, in Psalm 14. I see the Father in verses 1 through 3. I see the Son in verses 4 through 8. And I see the Holy Spirit in verses 9 through 14. And that makes sense to me when you're talking about His temple because it was initially a temple for the Father and then it came through His Son and it lives within us through His Holy Spirit. You can play with that on your own. I'm going to invite in a little bit uh, the worship team back up and Russ Marzoff, one of our elders, is going to lead us in a time of worship. And, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to pray and then they'll take it from there. And uh, I want to give an invitation. One of my, uh, I don't do it enough, but I do it. And where you just, there's just times to just drop to our knees and pray. It's a good posture, right? It's a posture of surrender. And so if you're comfortable and when you take the elements, however you want this to go for you personally, if you want to kneel at your, at your seat where you're sitting, that's great. But I also want to just open up the, the front of the church, the steps here, if you want to just kneel uh, up, up front here um, as, a, as a posture of surrender. Uh, is that okay? That's okay to do that, right? I said last service, I'm, I'm the new guy, so I don't want to do anything I should be doing. But I'm hoping it's okay to kneel uh, before our Lord. And so if you're comfortable with that and you want to kneel up front, um, please feel the liberty to do so, okay? Uh, let me pray. I'm going to pray. Uh, Psalm, the first seven verses of Psalm 46, and then Russ will lead us in a time of communion. Psalm 46, verses 1 through 7 in our closing prayer. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear Though the earth should change and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar. The kingdoms tottered. He raised His voice the earth melted. 
The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. And everybody said, Amen.